Second Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 9 tonight. Most of you have been with us, so you know that this book, Second Peter, is Peter's swan song. This is his last communique to a church infiltrated with false teachers. We've seen it. It's actually divided fairly nicely into these three chapters. Chapter 1, Peter reminds. Chapter 2, Peter rebukes. And now in chapter 3, Peter focuses on the return of Christ. This whole chapter is all about that. Good stuff. Let me say it in a different way. Chapter 1, Peter huddles up the sheep, right? And he reminds them of the truth. You remember probably that one of the key verses in that chapter was this idea. You already have, saint, already in your possession, everything that you need for life and for godliness. Again, to protect the, the sheep from the wolves who want to say, oh, you're missing it. If you just uh, come and, and study the word with us, our special book or this or that. Peter says, no, don't forget, you already have everything you own that you need for life and for godliness. And we, we said it's life could be defined this way, a life that is pleasant for you and godliness, a life that is pleasing to him. You already have everything you need for a life that's pleasant to you and one that's pleasing to him. Chapter 2, Peter rebukes these false teachers. We just finished that chapter. A uh, scathing torrent of curses upon these wolves that are preying upon the sheep. Here's just a quick survey of some of the things that Peter said about these guys. These guys are spots and blemishes in your love feasts. These guys are wells without water. That is, they pretend to be refreshment, but instead it's just devastation. These guys are brute beasts that were created to be destroyed no love lost between Peter and these folks. He says, these guys are like Balaam. They're dumber than a donkey. These guys are like dogs returning to their own vomit. These guys are like pigs returning to the mire. Okay? Again, no love lost there. Well, tonight, Peter, he, he was speaking to the sheep. Then he spoke to the wolves. And now he turns his attention back to the sheep. And I want you to notice this. What's the very first word out of his mouth in chapter 3? Beloved. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle. Peter turns from addressing the brute beasts to addressing the beloved. And I just wanted to, again, especially after going through chapter 2, I wanted to start out by reminding you guys. You are loved by the God who created you, who formed you out of dust, out of nothing. The word beloved, I love it, it's agapetos. It's the same root word as agape, but it means little loved ones, dear, esteemed, favorite ones. Now, you guys know John 3.16 says that God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son, right? We know that's true, but this little loved ones, doesn't apply to the whole world. This says to me, if you've already given your life to him, you're not just one of the ones that God loves enough to die for. You are already his little loved ones. You're not just ones he loves. You are his little loved ones. 
He calls you by name. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I have sheep and I call them by name and they know my voice. Out of all the millions and millions of people that have roamed the earth, he knows your name. The reason I wanted to make sure and remind you of that is if you believe that, your outlook on everything that comes your way, that would include the comfortable and the uncomfortable, the desired and the dreaded, the triumph and the tragedy, your outlook changes on everything if you really believe you are one of his little loved ones. Now, lest you think I'm making too much of this one word, I want you guys to read with me every time you see the word beloved. Look in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1, you guys get the first word. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. Look at verse 8. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Verse 14, therefore... Beloved, look forward, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And look at verse 17. You therefore, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the air of the wicked. Four times, actually five times if you're looking, there's a time when he refers to Paul, the beloved brother, but that's just Paul. Four times he says to us, you are his little loved ones. There's a simple application there and it's an easy one because it should bring you joy. Pray from that perspective this week, the rest of this week. The fact that you are one of his little loved ones. Live from that perspective. I am, I can't believe it, but I am one of God's little loved ones. If, you, if it's been a while since you've had a little one run, running around in your house, let me remind you, Isaac my five-year-old, he's in such an awesome, fun stage right now. He mispronounces his words. He's got a lisp. It's awesome. And he wants to tell me every little thing that he did today. And he's excited about what he did and what we're going to do tomorrow. That's pretty much a question he asks both me and Lisa every night. What are we going to do tomorrow? He's just excited about life. I just smile when I hear the excitement in his Voice. What if you live the rest of this week with the heart of a child, emphasizing, oh yeah, I'm one of his little loved ones. Okay? Well, that one was for free. The, the rest of this is, we have an outline for you. Three things that Peter does here. First, he reminds the saints, once again, uh, verses 1 and 2 or so. Then we're going to see that he refutes the scoffers, and then thirdly, he's going to give a reason for God's, quote, slackness. Okay, three R's. So you're a pirate. Arr. Remind the saints, refutes the scoffers, and he gives a reason for God's supposed slackness. Okay, here we go. First, Peter reminds the saints, verse 1, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. We saw this heavily in chapter 1. Repetition is the best friend of learning. The only way to get things through our thick skulls and to stay bouncing around in there is through repetition. Shall I repeat that? No. Okay. 
That is just the way it is. That's the way we're built. Um, 25% of what you hear twice will stick with you, they say. Notice Peter does not accuse or belittle these folks. No, on the contrary. He says, look, I know you have pure minds. That's unalloyed, unmixed. Uh, You're not confused by their doctrine, the folks that I've just been yelling at. But he says, I've done it to stir up your pure minds. Stir means to awaken, to arouse. I think Peter's saying, look, I get it. It's not that you're dumber than average. It's just that all humans always need stirring up. Better stirred than shaken. Right? Better stirred up than shaken. And the way that he reminds us, the way that he stirs us up, rather, is by reminding. Uh, Reminding makes us alert. Okay? And here's the source, verse 2 from which we need reminding. He says, that you may be mindful, so literally he means that you may remind yourself of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, okay, that's the Old Testament, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Huh, here's the New Testament. See that? Verse 2, Peter says, let me remind you to remind yourself with both the Old Testament and the New Testament. I don't know if, you, if you've noticed that. That's a little side note for you there. He includes both things. I remember, uh, actually, it was, it was Amy and I had a discussion a few years ago. Uh, we were in a different book. And the question came up, hey, did the apostles know that they were writing Scripture? Or did they look back a month or two or, you know, or a year later and go, wow, that was really good? No, they knew they were writing Scripture. Because it says right here, and of the commandment of us, the apostle of the Lord and Savior. He's, he's putting that in the same category with the Old Testament. Matter of fact, if you look down, I think it's verse 16. He says, our beloved brother Paul, as with the rest of Holy Scripture. Right? So, Peter puts the, the writings of the apostles in real time with the Old Testament. But, not to lose the context here, Peter is saying to us tonight, remind yourself with the scripture. That brings me back to <laughs> quiet time. Anybody notice I've been on the hobby horse of quiet time? Yeah? Okay. Personal Bible study, you and him. Some of you have noticed that hobby horse. Some of you are thinking I'm riding that hobby horse to death, that poor hobby horse. Well, I'm in good company because Peter says right here, uh, let me remind you to remind yourself with the word. Application. Every day, approach the word with the author as your tutor. We just prayed that way, right? Lord, you're the rabbi, you're the master, you're the one who wrote this. You can explain this to me. And again, this is huge. This has been helpful to me personally in the last few months. Don't go about it trying to learn amazing stuff that no one has ever learned. Go about it just being reminded of that which you already know. In other words, open the word before him. Say, Lord, remind me about things about yourself. I want to know you. I want to gain a history with you. Okay? If you go in looking for something that's great and profound and that nobody's ever seen, you're going to be disappointed more often than not. If instead you go into the scriptures and say, Lord, just remind me of your awesomeness or your scariness or your 
mercy, whatever it is, you will come away having gained a history with him. Okay? Well, next Peter reminds the saints of something else. Verse 3. He says, knowing this first, so we would say from the get-go, know this, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts. Peter says, okay, let me remind you of something else. In the last days, scoffers, mockers will come. Uh, That means people who make fun of that which is sacred to you. People who make fun of the very idea that there is a God and that he would be interested in us. But this is pretty cool. Do you guys see that this verse means that when those people make fun of what you hold to be sacred, when they make fun of, for instance, the idea of his return, that that means his return is all the more near. It says, knowing this, that scoffers will come in the last days. So when somebody comes to you and says, yeah, right, like Jesus is going to come back, you're like, thank you, you just made it more, more likely, more soon. When people make fun of the idea that we're in the last days, guess what? We're in the last days. How many of you have heard of um, the movie Religious by Bill Maher? Um, I did not see it. I, I went, I, I looked, saw the word scoffer, mocker. I'm like, I'll look up Bill Maher. Um, and I didn't see it, okay, but I, I, I saw some quotes. Let me give you uh, one here. Bill Maher says, The plain fact is religion must die for mankind to live. The hour is getting very late to be able to indulge. I love that. The hour is getting late. Um, The hour is getting very late to be able to indulge in having key decisions made by religious people, by irrationalists, by those who would steer the ship of state, not by a compass, but by the equivalent of reading the entrails of a chicken. I found many, many more mocking quotes than this, but I couldn't share them with you because of the profanity. My point is that scoffers now, Peter says, look, you'll know the end times are coming when people mock and scoff at what you believe. Now scoffers have such freedom and and a platform that now they're making multi-million dollar movies and people are attending them. Now, if that scares you, I would say that's good news. That means we're in the last days. Uh, Again, I didn't see it, but... After the closing credits, uh, apparently this was said, I, I, I'm assuming this is like one of the very last things you would see if you were in the movie. Bill Maher says, uh, see you in heaven? And Julie Maher says, who knows? And Bill Maher laughs. <laughs> exactly. Make, juxtapose that with verse 3. Knowing this, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust. That means not walking according to fear of God or any external code of right or wrong, but just their own lusts according to their own lust, and they will be saying, look at this, where is the promise of his coming? The the word coming there is parousia. It always refers to Jesus' second coming. So the scoffers, their argument is, Jesus says he's going to be here. Where is he? Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Peter says, okay, scoffers will come, and here's their argument. Jesus says he's coming back, so where is he? We say we're in the last days. Hello? You've been saying that for 2,000 years. 
Come to think of it, they've been, they said that back in the Old Testament days. They will come and they will say, Here is the pro- where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Now let me remind you, uh, back in chapter 2, Peter spent all of chapter 2 reminding us of this one fact. God is able to deliver his children from danger, but deliver the ungodly to destruction. Right? There was a whole message saying, God is not asleep. Peter takes the argument from the uh, scoffers. Maybe we would say it this way. The scoffers would say today, well, if he's not asleep, he sure is playing possum. I mean, nothing's changed for thousands of years. Since the beginning of creation. Now, if you're sitting there going, that sounds like a pretty good argument. How would you respond? Well, First Peter reminds the saints, remind yourself of the scriptures. You're going to need them. And then right here he shows, you're going to need the scriptures. First he reminds the saints, now he refutes the scoffer with the scriptures. Verse 5, for this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Follow this. Peter says, um, okay, you say that all things continue without interruption and that God is playing possum. What about that whole flood thing? You know, the cataclysmic flood that ended the world at one point. I seem to remember something about a cataclysmic flood that wiped out the whole world minus eight people. But back up actually before that in verse 8, Peter says, look, it was the word of God, that means God spoke the worlds into existence. The word of of God that brought forth the earth from the waters, God spoke the word, the earth was formed out of water. And then in Genesis 6, basically when God had had enough of man's rebellion, he spoke the word again and water flooded the same earth that he created. See, there was another time when people scoffed, when they mocked, when they ignored a man named Noah. By the way, there is ample evidence, even you know, in, in just uh, secular science, of this worldwide catastrophic event. Uh, apparently there are stories in all of the continents, uh, the Chinese, the Indians, the Mayans, they all talk about this, this cataclysmic flood. Peter says, to say that all things continue uninterrupted and leave out that small detail of the flood of the entire world, he says, you have to willfully forget something like that. That's a huge word there in verse 5. For this they willfully forget. Reminds me, Jesus said to Nicodemus, look, God sent his only son into the world, not, that it, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. And then he says in verse John three nineteen, and this is the condemnation though, that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They willfully, though they see the evidence, they willfully choose against it. Why? Because their deeds are evil and they don't want anyone telling them how to live. So, reminder, when people mock you, Christian, when they mock your Savior, it's nothing personal. 
they just desperately want to hold on to their darkness because their deeds are evil. They don't want you or anyone else, and especially God, they don't want him reminding them. Peter refutes the scoffers by pointing back to the flood, but watch this, verse 7, and also pointing forward to the fire. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, do you see the the parallels there in verse 5 and 7? The word of God brought the world into existence. The word of God sent the flood. Now the word of God preserves the world right now. And the word of God eventually will usher in the day of judgment. But the heavens and the earth, will are not, are, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. God made the world and he wiped it out and he started over and he can wipe it out again. You guys remember Bill Cosby's line, his dad used to say, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. It's the same idea, right? God created the world. He can do with it whatever he wants. He spoke it into existence. When he had had enough, he brought this life-changing, world-ending flood. But now he's preserving the world, but when he's had enough fire. And you guys, most of you know the story. He sent a rainbow to say, I will never again destroy the earth by flood. But he didn't say, I will never again destroy the earth. No, I will never again do it by flood. He's saying in verse 7, they... For this day, his, his word preserves this, but uh, they are, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. The word judgment there is crisis, the same place we get the word crisis. And literally it means dividing, a separating. Uh, and it will be a crisis. There'll be a separating into two groups, sheeps and goats, redeemed and condemned. Saints and ain'ts. And the end of the latter, it says, is perdition. That is utter destruction. It says the perdition, the utter destruction of ungodly men. The word ungodly, destitute of reverential awe toward God. Meaning they have no fear of the God who created them. Again, think Bill Maher. Then, then for the second time tonight, now Peter turns from refuting the scoffer, he turns right around and then reminds us, because look at it, verse 8, but what? Beloved. You see, he says to them, look, you willfully forget, but then he turns right around, so I almost see him like taking, taking his, our, our head in his, face, in his hands. Look, okay, focus on me now. Beloved, you don't forget This one thing. They willfully forget. Please don't forget, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Peter says, beloved, favored of God, God's little one, they willingly forget, but don't you forget this one thing that God does not do time the way we do time. To him, a thousand years is just like a day. Reminds me of the joke. I've already told it, so some of you are like, oh, but oh well. 
The guy who uh, prays, Lord, is it true that to you a thousand years is like a day? Well, yes, son. Well, is like a million years like a day? Yes, son, it's true. Well, then, would like a million dollars be just like a penny to you? Well, yes, son. Well, Lord, can I have a penny? Yes, son. Tomorrow. He's, he's outside of time. He created time, not for, the, not for his sake, for our sake, right? He can step in and out of time whenever he wants. Peter says, right up at the beginning of the, this section, he says, look, don't be shaken by the scoffers. Instead, be stirred by the scriptures, Don't be shaken by the scoffers. Instead, be stirred by the scriptures. Think about the scriptures that talk about the fact that God doesn't do time the way we do. We just sang, I don't know if you noticed, half of our songs were about he's the beginning and the end. He was and he is and he is to come. You guys remember when Jesus uh, upset the religious leaders, one of the big times that he did it was when he said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you, you uh, have eternal life, but they speak of me. They get into a discussion. They say, what, have you been around for longer than, a, you know, are you as old as Abraham? And he goes, well, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up rocks to throw at him because they knew he was saying he was God. Because only God says, I am. God said to Moses, Moses says, who do I, who do I say sent me? Tell them, I am sent you. That in itself, the fact that God doesn't say, I was, I will, but the most accurate thing he can say because he's outside of time is, I am. Because of that, a billion years is the same to him as a blink. Now, if that makes your head pop, (laughs) welcome to the club. But even... Einstein's theory of relativity apparently supports this. Again, I'm just believing other people here. But they say if you could go at the speed of light, that's what, 186,000 miles a second, right? Sorry, something like that. Okay. I hope that's right. If it is, I sound really smart. If not, oh well. (laughs) If you could jump on a beam of light and ride it at the speed of light to the nearest star, Alpha Centauri, 3.4 light years away. It would take you 3.4 years to get there. You would spend 3.4 years of your heart beating, right? And 3.4 years back, seven years. If you were to to make that trip at that speed and come back, you would be seven years. You'd have seven years less heartbeats. But you would look around. It's like, where'd everybody go? (laughs) Where's Disney World? Where's Calvary Chapel Lakes? Because it would have been hundreds of thousands of years, if I understand right. It's crazy how that works. You would have aged seven years, but all the rest of us would be long gone because thousands of years would have passed. You know how that could happen? Because you were outside of time. And Peter says, look, God is outside of time. So please don't freak out at his delay. Think about it this way. When you look, consider this verse, we hear the scoffers say, 
Well, if he's coming, where is he? It's been 2,000 years. And, and we start to pull our hair and we go, Jesus, where are you? It's been 2,000 years. He goes, it's been a couple days. That's it. First Peter reminds the saints, look, I want you to remind yourself with a word. Then he refutes the scoffers by saying, remember the flood. Then he now reassures the saints. He says, look, don't forget, the Lord is outside of time. And then lastly, Peter gives the reason for the slackness. Quote, slackness. Verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness. The word slackness is bredino. It means to delay, to be slow. It means to tarry, to loiter. It's from uh, the root word that means to be slow or dull or stupid. So the indication is, if, we, if I'm reading Peter right, these scoffers were impugning the Lord. Again, scoffing, mocking, saying things about the Lord that no person who's even a little bit fearful of the Lord would ever say. If Jesus is coming back, where is he? Maybe he got lost. Or they're accusing him of being late or of loitering to be too slow. Peter says, look, the reason for his, quote, slackness is not that he's loitering. It's not that he's lost. It's not that he's late. It's that he is long-suffering. Look at verse 9. Peter says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The word long-suffering there, like this word, it's macrothumeo. It means big, large, high, and patient. It's big patience, or um, literally it means this. Macro means high and great, and thumeo is the same place we get thermometer. It means a high boiling point. The Lord's not slack in concerning his promise. No, it's that he has an unbelievably high boiling point with us. Do you hear what Peter's saying? And, and I bet you you've had the same thought sometimes. We think, Lord, where are you? How can you allow such evil? How can you sit still, Lord, with all the stuff that's going on down here? We accuse him of loitering, of lostness, of being late. But in fact, he's long-suffering. He sees all of the evil and he doesn't condone any of it, but he has, praise be to God, a high boiling point. He has a, a boiling point that is higher than we can imagine. And maybe some of you are thinking, well, if you ask me, I almost think his boiling point is too high. Well, have you thought of this? If you're thinking, Lord, why are you not coming right tonight? Number one, he could be. But number two, could it be that he's holding back his wrath for your son or your daughter to come to repentance? Or your neighbor? 
I don't know your hearts. Could it be that he's holding back his wrath that you might come to repentance? The word repentance means to change your mind. I thought of another way to look at this or, or the thing that this truth that this brings out. If you thought about this, more and more people are scoffing and mocking at the Lord, right? And the fact that he would ever return. You ever think about this, that Jesus think, cares more about the people that you love than he does about his own reputation. If he cared about his reputation, he would come right now and go, I'm done with all of you. But instead, he cares more about the same people that you desperately want to see in heaven. He cares more about them than his reputation. Now, what's the application for us? Well, how about this? Speak out. Pray for your neighbors and speak out. The scoffers are speaking out. Let the saints also speak out. See, the Lord has a tremendously high boiling point, but you must know He does have a boiling point. The picture is of one holding the lid on till the last possible second because He's not willing, He doesn't want anyone to perish. But look at the next verse. We won't expound on it, but you need to put this in context. He's not willing that any should perish, but the day of the Lord will come. He doesn't want any to perish. He's holding it back as long as possible. But I promise you the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And look at it. In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Same argument that Peter's been making. Look, last time it was by flood. This time it's going to be by fire. But please notice... Please hear the heart of the Lord. His delay is His mercy. I, I can only think of one way to, to close this message if, if there's an unbeliever here tonight. If you don't know Him, soon it will not be Him answering for His delay. It will be you answering for yours. He's not willing that any would perish. He's provided a way of escape and he wants us to take it. And he wants us to take as many as we can with us. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy. I thank you for the saints here tonight. I thank you, Lord, for your word that never returns to you void. Thank you, Lord, for Peter's heart. Uh, he wrote this so many years ago when he knew that he only had a short time. Lord, we don't know how much time we have but we know that it's shorter than we think, each one of us. I ask Lord that you'd help us tonight. We want, to, uh, we want to apply your word the way that you would have us to. We need your help. We need for you to, to be our rabbi, our teacher, and to give us instruction and application. So we trust now that you'll do it just because you love us and because you're faithful to your promise, to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we have some, some time of application here. Number one, the, the first one, I guess it's possible these kind of go in uh, ascend or descending order as far as uh, levity to uh, gravity. Beloved. Here's your application. 
if you want to take this one, you're like, maybe I should take this one quick. Beloved, hear that in your head the rest of this week. Realize, live your life as if it's true, because it is. If that is, if you've given your life to Him, right? I can tell you this, if you haven't given your life to Him, He loves you, but you're not yet one of His little loved ones, okay? But you can, you can face the, the same trials that you always do, but with more joy if you understand you are one of His little loved ones. He told you four times in this chapter, in the chapter that's about the end of the world, in the midst of it, He says, Beloved, Beloved, right? Okay, all right. Number two, Peter reminds the saints. Your application is remind yourself with a word. That's what he's saying in, in verses one and two. Look, the world is shaken apart at the seams. There's false teachers coming in, all sorts of things that could shake you to the core. Don't be shaken, be stirred by the word. Okay, again, having that, that quiet time with him. We're just being reminded of things that are true about him and his nature. Number three. Keep going. Number three. Peter refutes the scoffers and Peter reassures the saints. Right? That's what he does. Um, he says, look, here's their argument and here's how they're wrong. And then he turns to the saints and says, look, beloved, I want you to know this. With the Lord, uh, a day is as a thousand years. Well, what's the application from that? Peter refutes the scoffer and Peter reassures the saint. saints. Here's your application. Do the same. What if everybody in this room said, okay, for the next, until Sunday, until I get my new marching orders, I'm going to refute the scoffers and I'm going to reassure the saints. See, time is running short and we've seen the scoffers have most of the media on their side. The good news is, I've, I've seen it happen as, just as this church has grown. This church is, we don't advertise. The, the truth will, will grow and go out when people start to open their mouths. It doesn't have to, you don't have to have this great advertising blitz and campaign. You just have to open your mouth. Say, I know that's what you heard, but this is what the Bible says. If we would do that... We could be refuting the scoffers and reassuring the saints. This, and this is uh, super practical. Pray for an unbeliever, your friends, your neighbors, and then speak up. Speak up. Uh, number four. The reason that he, quote, slacks is because not because he's loitering or that he's lazy or that he's lost or that he's late but that he is long-suffering. He has a very high boiling point. This application might be different than what you thought. And I, sometimes I'm like, when I have application, do I bring them in the, the body of the message or do I bring them in the application time or both? This time I saved this one. Don't know if that was right or not. But for your personal application... Has there been anything that you have said to the Lord, Lord, I've been praying about this and I've been asking you and I'm asking you and I'm still asking you, what is the deal? Lord, are you lazy? Are you loitering? You're certainly late by my standards. Think about this. What we discovered in this case 
And I dare say in your case, could it be that it's not lateness or laziness or loitering? It's long-suffering. He knows best and he is working it out for your good. How many of you know what happened with John and Shelley and that baby over the, what, 96 hours? 96 hours of labor. And it ends in a C-section. And if, if you look at that and you go, Lord, what's going on here? Are you, are you lazy? Are you loitering? Are you just hanging out up there, not paying attention? But it's discovered. I, I'll, let you, I'll send you the email if you didn't get it from Marsha. But long, long story short, the 96 hours was, was helpful for that baby's lungs to, to develop and for the mucus and all that other stuff to come out. And the C-section was necessary because the cord was wrapped around, it's really tight around the neck and the body. So apparently... God is not late or loitering. Do you see how this can apply in your situation? If you're you're tempted to complain, Lord, what is up with this lateness? Please, please don't. Please understand that he's really smart and he really knows what he's doing. And it's his long suffering, his patience, that, that has him, and the fact that he's super smart, that has him waiting. Okay, lastly, the reason that he slacks number two, <laughs> and that is, if you're an unbeliever, the reason he slacks is you. He's waiting. He's waiting for you to come from darkness into life. How cool would it be if you were the last one? <laughs> if he was just saying, come on. As soon as you do this, I can take everybody and save a whole bunch of trouble. How cool would that be? If you haven't given your life to Him, one more opportunity. We don't know how many. Here's another one. 